When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is Social Security? Why was it created? And who is eligible to receive these benefits? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. everybody. Today we are tackling a topic that has been brought to the floor of Congress countless times, Social Security. Established under President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1935, this federal government program provides monetary benefits to people who are retired, disabled, or beneficiaries to someone who is eligible for Social Security. In 2021, Congress passed the Social Security Fairness Act that repealed any provisions to reduce Social Security. So what role does the government play in delegating Social Security benefits? How has Social Security evolved over time? And what is the future of these benefits? We have a lot of questions to ask. And here to answer them all and talk me through all of this is the Chief Executive Officer of the National Academy of Social Insurance, Bill Arnone. And Bill was kind enough to come on Getting School to talk all about it. Bill, what's going on? Well, um, a lot's going on <laughs> in the uh, country today. And I'm here in Washington, D.C. And as you know, uh, Social Security is at the top of the agenda of things that are of great concern to uh, legislators, elected officials, and of course, to 66 million people who now get a Social Security check. And many of us who look forward to the day of uh, getting a Social Security check. So it's a it's a red hot issue right now. That it is. And that is why I'm so happy that you're on with me right now, because, you know, I, I feel like we all know Social Security is coming one day. A lot of times we're asked for our Social Security number to, you know, authenticate things. Um, but, you know, I, I like to kind of give context to this conversation to our readers, just go through the ins and outs of what exactly Social Security is, um, what it means, how Democrats think about it, how Republicans think about it, how they agree, disagree, things like that. And these are all uh, topics we will get into. But let's just start from the beginning and talk about how this all started. Because, you know, I really do think, Bill, that this gives context to the broader conversation. So can you just talk to me about the Great Depression, the circumstances around the creation of this program? Yes. And we have to really think that way and imagine ourselves. The country was in economic, uh, social and political turmoil in the 1930s. There was a great stock market crash. We were in what's called the Great Depression. And uh, older people had their lifetime savings wiped out. And they had no pensions. Some states had what they called old age pension programs. But uh, it was really a very uh, inadequate attempt to provide some economic security to older people. Uh, So the country was in the midst of this turmoil. And we had a president, Franklin uh, Roosevelt, who developed uh, what's called the New Deal, and one of the cornerstones of it was to introduce in 1935 this thing called Social Security. And he was uh, very astute. He didn't want it to be perceived as a welfare program. 
So he structured it as what we call a social insurance program, which meant you paid in, it was contributory, your employer paid in, and you earned a right to a benefit. And that was a very important conceptual framework for the launch of this program. So the ACRA signed 1935, 87 years ago. Benefits started being paid in 1940. Uh, so people were paying in before actually receiving a benefit. And uh, it had to take care of people who really paid very little in. Uh, but that was part of the launch of an ambitious program like this. So how has it changed from 1935 to today in 2023? It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. When it started out, it only provided a retirement benefit to people 65 and older. And then uh, slowly but surely it expanded. 1939, we added spouses benefits, dependent benefits, survivor benefits. In 1956, we added disability benefits, which by the way, 9 million Social Security recipients today get what's called the disability benefit. And then uh, in the news recently, when we announced a big 8.7% cost of living adjustment, those were not part of Social Security until 1972. The automatic, they call them COLAs, to hold the purchasing power of Social Security beneficiaries constant at a time of high inflation as we've had recently. So it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, it's grown. Um, and uh, with that growth and with the aging of the population, it's had financial challenges. Mm. And we're at, in that point now with f- financial challenges. The last big challenge was 1983, when Congress passed a major Social Security Reform Act, which took care of a imminent uh, financial uh, inability to pay all benefits due. We're not quite imminent now, but most people looking at the state of Social Security uh, have said something's got to happen by around 2032, 33, 34, uh, because in those uh, under certain projections, the program will not have enough to pay 100 percent of benefits. I want to just make sure that people listening know there's no risk of the program going bankrupt. That's a myth you hear. Worst case, if Congress were to do nothing, we would get to 2032, 2033 there would only be enough money to pay about 80% of benefits. That's not good. That means everybody would take a 20% cut, but it's not zero. So I just want to clear up that because that's often a bone of the convention. I'm glad that you did clear that up because um, I saw also um, that that number of around 2034, 2035. A lot of people wondering what is the future of Social Security once that percentage um, starts dropping. Um, People want to know, is Social Security running out? Uh, And sounds like, according to what you're saying, it's not going to necessarily run out. It's just people are going to have to take a pay cut. Right. So when we talk to uh, millennials in particular, the first question they ask me is, Oh, Social Security is great for you, for my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa. It won't even be there for me. And I have to tell them, no, it's going to be there. The question is, how much will it provide toward your retirement security? But the answer is not, it's going to disappear. Why are those numbers dropping? Well, uh, we have an aging population. um, And uh, my generation, I'm a boomer, 76 million of us. Uh, Most of us are at the point now in life where we're drawing down benefits So there's demographics. And then the program is very susceptible to two economic trends, which God forbid, if both come at the same time, that can really hurt Social Security. One is inflation. You might say, why does inflation hurt Social Security? The higher inflation, the higher the benefits are. So the expenses go up. The other thing that hurts would be high unemployment. And thank goodness, 
we're at one of the all-time record low unemployment rates, 3.5%. If you go back to the late 70s, we got hit with both, high unemployment and high inflation, and Social Security took a beating. That's why Congress had to do something in 1983. The program was really in trouble. Once the percentage Social Security is able to pay out starts dropping, is there a potential that it goes back up? Like if it drops down to 80, can it go back up to 100%? Yes. Uh, I like to tell people there's no constitutional right to Social Security. It's not in our Constitution. Some countries, by the way, it's in their Constitution. Congress gives and Congress can take away. So could Congress say, uh, in order to um, get the program back up to a better financial condition, we're going to cut benefits? Yes. Or they can say, um, things are still very uh, bad for older people in the country. We're going to have to increase benefits, but then we have to pay for those increases. Mm. A lot of moving parts. And by the way, the program is, as you know, a very political program. You heard in the president's State of the Union address, it was the most electrifying moment of the State of the Union. It got hot. It got heated. That's Social Security. It's a very, very emotional, politically charged issue. Right. Let's delve into that a little bit more, because as with many issues in our world, we can look at this through a red or a blue lens. Um, What do Democrats think? What do Republicans think? Where do they disagree and where do they agree? Well, the first thing they agree on, this goes through every survey. We've conducted a few. No matter what your political posture is, Social Security is a popular program. Uh, cuts across those political lines. But when you get to the point of saying, how do we address the financial challenge going forward, Democrats are likely to say, bring in more money. So example, today, people who make over $162,000, which you might say, that's a big number. How many people make more than that? It's about 6% of the population make more than that. They stop paying into Social Security. So Democrats would say, why should we stop from people paying when they have high income. Um, Why is it so different from the income tax where the more income you pay, allegedly the higher the rate? So Democrats would say, let's uh, change that cap on the amount of wages subject to social security contributions. So they're more likely to look at bringing more revenues. Republicans are more likely to look at either cutting benefits or slowing the growth of benefits. And most Republicans that I talk to, they seem to be focused on the age at which you can start collecting a full Social Security benefit. Now, in 1983, we raised the age for younger people. So it's now 67 for the millennial generation and Generation Z. Republicans are inclined to say, well, we did that. We got away with it, so to speak. Why don't we do it again? People are living longer. Let's raise the age again. So that's and that's an oversimplification. There are nuances, but those are the general political divides. Democrats bring more money in. Republicans try to slow the growth or cut the benefit. So as of 2022, um, you you brought up this number, 66 million beneficiaries in the United States. Um, You know, Bill, there are more than 332 million people who live in the U.S. So who makes up that 66 million and who are the ones who don't? Yeah, the bulk of the 66 million are people who paid into the system and they're getting a retirement benefit. That's about three quarters of the 66 million. Then you have disabled people, 9 million uh, get a benefit based on being unable to work. They just can't work. They have a very severe disability. Then you have spouses of a retiree. They'll get a benefit. Let's say they spent most of their lives uh, raising children, uh, running the household, 
on their own. They don't qualify for Social Security. They can get what's called a spouse's benefit while the other spouse is still alive. Uh, no pension system does this, by the way. This is a unique feature. Then you have survivor benefits, widows and widowers, and believe it or not, 3 million children under the age of 18 get a Social Security a survivor or dependents benefit. Mm. So it really is a family protection program. Most people think of it as an old age program, but it's really grown to be a, a family a protection program. So when we're talking numbers here, um, retirement versus disability versus spouses of a retiree, things like that, how much do the benefits change from category to category? Well, clearly the benefits that pay the most is the retirement benefit. It's based on your earnings record. And the disability benefit, which if you qualify, it treats you as though you're 65 uh, or you as though you're in that normal retirement age. Um, the average benefit today is about 1800 a month. We're not talking about a lot, but for many people, it's their source of most of their retirement income. That was not the intent, by the way. It was supposed to be one part of a person's overall retirement security, but it turned into something that many people rely on uh, uh, over 10 percent of today's older americans rely on social security for more than 90 percent of their income so it has changed in a way that was not intended but that's the reality of life people lost pensions they lost savings or they couldn't save so they've fallen back on social security and as a result the program has to do more than it was ever intended to do i see and and how do shifts in population numbers affect social security Demographics is a, plays a big factor. Now, you might say, what do you mean? Life expectancy. Is it going up? Yes. Is it going up for everyone? No. People like me, I work behind a desk. There's no manual labor. I can probably work who knows to what age. If you spent uh, most of your life in heavy labor and your body's taken a beating, um, the idea of extending uh, your retirement um, X more years uh, that's really not a viable option. Um, so the benefit itself is really something you can't just say across the board, let's do one thing and let it apply to everybody. We have to be sensitive to the different gaps mm-hmm. in the retirement population for people who just you know, can't, when people say glibly, we're all living longer. But life expectancy has gone up, no question about it. The other factor, and this is a this is a very scary one, is fertility is going down and you might say why does that matter those are the future workers who have to pay into the system Mm. today's workers pay for today's retirees they don't pay for themselves so if fertility is down and most countries are now faced with a fertility crisis then there's a real problem because what is a key to social security is the, the ratio of workers to beneficiaries in the early days that was 20 to 1 now it's more like two to three to one, and that's a big deal. So you've got the demographic uh, crunch that Social Security has to address as well. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
So let me ask you this, and this this might be a dumb question, but um, so if today's workers are paying for today's retirees and uh, the fertility is going down, is there a potential that, let's say, so I'm a millennial, I'm paying into Social Security, I get to the point where I want to retire, and I know you said that those numbers could drop down to, let's say, 80% by 2034 or something like that. Um, so I could technically be paying right now the amount of money that I expect to get 100%, but I'm only going to get 80%. Is that how it works? Yes. If, again, it's the big if. If Congress does nothing, but no one believes Congress will wait until that year, and the year fluctuates, it's going uh, some have it down to as low as uh, 2032. Um, if Congress waits until then, then we're at the 11th hour. No one thinks that's going to happen. Mm. So they've got to come up with a solution. And in today's world, it has to be a bipartisan solution for it to get passed. So I would assure you as a millennial, uh, don't say it's going to go away. Just say it could be less than my parents got, but it won't be zero. <laughs> And then you might say, well, how can I assure that it doesn't go down by even 20%? And that's where your voice has to be heard. Uh, Congress will listen to you. And a lot of times, Congress Congress say, I always hear from older voters. I don't hear from younger voters. They got to hear from your generation. And your statement has to be, do you feel strong enough about it that you don't want it cut by, say, 20%? So what policies are being pushed in Congress surrounding Social Security? Yeah. um, In addition to the two big ones, bring more money in or uh, uh, increase the age, Social Security um, does have some uh, problems in it. Let me give you one example. If you're a low income worker who hasn't had a full career and your earnings were low, the Social Security benefit formula gives you a better deal than higher income workers. So this is called a progressive formula. The lower your lifetime earnings, the higher the percentage gets replaced by a Social Security retirement benefit. But there was something called a minimum Social Security benefit. And what that meant was, let's say you've had a lifetime of low earnings and you were out of the workforce. Yes, you're eligible for a benefit, but it's very low. There used to be a minimum. And if the minimum was higher than your earnings record gave you, you'd get the minimum instead. That is gone. So a lot of people who say Social Security has to do more for the least fortunate of us, why not bring that back? And that's a very popular option that Congress is looking at. There are also um, widows whose benefit is not as high as some people would like, depending on their age when the spouse passes away. So many people would like to see the survivor benefit get increased so that it does better for um people in poverty. The highest poverty rate in our country for older people are women who are not married, living alone. Either they're divorced, they're widowed, or they never got married. That poverty rate is twice as high as the poverty rate for all other older people. So a lot of people in Congress think we've got to correct that. That's just, uh, uh, that's human suffering that we have to correct. So those are some of the options that would change the benefits uh, 
in the program itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about obviously these things being pushed in Congress. Um, you also wonder with the 24, 2024 election coming up in you know about two years, um, just how big of an issue Social Security will be. In your opinion, obviously things are still shaping up um, on the GOP side. We have Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Donald Trump. President Biden is still kind of not said too much into if he's going to run again, rumblings that maybe Marianne Williamson. So we don't obviously have the people who are for sure confirmed will be running. But how do you think this will affect the 2024 election? I, I Based on the State of the Union and the reaction and what the Democrats were able to uh, assess, it will be, in my view, one of the five top issues in 2024. Mm. It's getting uh, ready to take on that prominence. By the way, it did play a role in the 2022 uh, midterms because if you remember for the last month, the president was on the road talking about the Republicans want to sunset Social Security. He milked that for all it was worth, and it worked. In districts that the Democrats were supposed to lose, House districts, they ended up winning them because all the voters turned out and said, I can't vote for Republicans. They want to get rid of Social Security. Now, that's an extreme positioning of the issue by one party versus another. Right. Um, I'm not sure it will get to that level, but the Democrats, I think, have learned a lesson. Uh, but also a lot of people uh, learned the wrong lesson. There's a quote that's attributed to um, a legendary uh, Boston politician, Tip O'Neill. And he once said, uh, referred to Social Security as the third rail. People misunderstood what that meant. He didn't say discussing Social Security was the third rail. He said cutting Social Security is the third rail. But if you campaign on expanding it, you might actually do better. So I believe it'll be a major issue uh, in the the 2024 presidential election. And look at um, uh, former President Trump. He got it. He said when he ran in 2016, if you remember, Unlike the rest of these candidates, I will never cut Social Security and Medicare. And he just recently said the same thing to all my fellow Republicans. Don't touch these programs. They're political dynamite. So who knows what the ultimate nominees will end up saying. But to me, it's it's definitely a what's called a salient issue. It'll be very salient and a lightning rod issue, I think, in uh, 2024. Mm, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all that unfolds for sure. Um, just kind of to go back to what you said, we, we sort of had this conversation already, but I want to just know more about the requirements for receiving Social Security. How does one ensure they do get that money when they retire? Um, yeah. And what, what do they have to do? Can they still get Social Security while they're working? Let me answer answer both questions. First of all, how do you get eligibility for a benefit? You have to pay into the system for roughly 10 years, and it's done quarter by quarter. Once you've paid into the system through earnings, uh, either earnings from working for someone else or self-employed, then you have qualified for a benefit. That doesn't tell you how much the benefit will be. The benefit itself is based on 35 years of earnings. So when you're ready to retire, Social Security will look at your 35 years of earnings They'll increase past earnings to today's dollars so that it's built, has, uh, uh, built in uh, protection um, uh, so that the dollars you earned years ago are brought up in value. Then they'll apply a formula to it based on how much of your earnings you've had uh, on average, and that'll be your benefit. And then if you wait until your normal age, uh, 65 for some, 66 for others, 67 for the youngest, you'll get what's called a full benefit. 
If you take it as early as you can, which is 62, your benefit will be reduced. You might say, why is it reduced? Well, the earlier you start, the longer you're likely to collect it, which means you have to take what's called an actuarial reduction. And the reduction depends. If you apply at 62 and your normal age is 65, you'll take a 20% cut. If your normal age is 66 and you apply 62, a 25% cut. If your normal age is 67 and you apply at 62, a 30% cut. So the sooner you take it, the bigger the reduction. And this is a lifetime reduction. But let's say that you decide, you know, I miss work. I want to go back to work. I've started collecting Social Security. Can you go back to work? The answer is yes. If you're over the normal retirement age, the upper limit, you can work and make as much as you want, and it will only help you. Earnings will not hurt you. If you started collecting early, there's an annual earnings limit. If you go over that limit, then your Social Security gets reduced temporarily. People hate this, by the way. Go, what? I'm trying to be productive. Why are you penalizing me? It's a temporary reduction. Later, your benefit gets recalculated to take into account the fact that you were earning more money. I see. So work can never hurt you. I can't tell you how many older people go, oh, I'd like to go back to work, but I don't want to lose my Social Security. doesn't work that way. So that's kind. That's another myth. All right, that's good. That's yes. good to know because you would hope that if someone does want to go to back to work and they do want to actually work for that money, then they should definitely be able to do that. Obviously, um, yeah, but we're going to need older workers. I yeah, because there'll be labor shortages. So it's in everybody's interest to keep older people productive. More productive usually means healthier. So that's a win-win for the country and for the older person, him or herself. Right. What happens if you are a single mom and you raise, or sorry, not single mom, you're married, but you uh, are a stay-at-home mom, rather. You raise four kids, you're married, and then when you're 60, you get divorced. Are you still eligible for your spouse's benefits if you were a stay-at-home mom during that time? If the marriage lasted at least 10 years and you don't remarry before age 60, you can get what's called a divorced spouse's benefit. And it's calculated the same way as a current spouse. In fact, um, this is a little bit um, of, of anecdote. I, there, I've heard there are about a thousand men, they're all men, who have three women collecting on their record. Two ex-spouses who lasted at least 10 years and a current spouse, and by the way, They all get, uh, they don't take from each other. These are all additive. So you got, uh, in effect, three people collecting on one person's record. Wow. (laughs) I didn't think about that. I didn't think if that person gets remarried and then they are married for at least 10 years. And I'll tell you one other thing, which is what people get a kick out of this. Let's say you've lasted 10 years with with, with two others in your current and you're over 60 and you want to apply for a spouse's benefit at 62. Guess what? You, you get, get to pick. You get which, bo- do you get both? Yeah, you get to pick. No, whichever is high. You never get both. You get whichever <laughs> is high. So you can say, I'll take husband number two because <laughs> he made more than husband number one. So that's one of those odd things about social Wow. Theory. One of those things you don't really think about. You know, uh, something else. that happens to you. Right, right. Hopefully not. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Something else I wonder about is when someone dies. How does Social yes. Security know? Uh, believe it or not, the, the family is supposed to notify Social Security, but you know who ends up doing it? The funeral home. Mm. It's an automatic process, and it happens almost immediately. They notify Social Security, and then Medicare gets notified as well. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, something that's done. But I'll tell you, this is. Uh, let me give you something that's heartbreaking. Which and we're trying to help take a look at this. Thanks to COVID, two hundred fifty thousand children lost a caregiver, either a mother, father, or grandparents with whom they were living. And this was their source of uh, economic support. And many of them have not applied for a social security benefit because they didn't know they could. Can you imagine that? Mm. So we're looking at what can be done to make sure uh, people who are caring for children now who lost their parents due to COVID know that there's a social security survivor benefit that they're eligible for. Um, and that's the thing where the social security has a lot of good in it, but it's not good unless you know about it and you apply for it. No one's going to say to you, hey, you turned 62. You're going to apply for Social Security. You've got to do that yourself. And that's a big issue. We can have great benefits on the books, but if people don't access them because they don't know about them, uh, it's a shame. What do you think about I mean, it? if only there was a podcast out there trying to shed light on some of these things, Bill. I mean, <laughs> I'm, like just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Last question for you. You've yes. been you've been so great and I appreciate your Thank time you. here um, on the podcast. What do you think is the most important thing for people to know about Social Security? Maybe something that they don't really realize. Well, um, let me tell you what people are a little bit concerned about now. It has to do with the debt ceiling. I'm sure you've heard about this mm-hmm. debt ceiling. So uh, Social Security has trust funds, and in the trust funds are Treasury securities. What are Treasury securities? That's national debt. So one of the big concerns out there, and it's a real concern, is let's say, God forbid, we run up against the debt ceiling. We don't raise it. We don't eliminate it. Treasury is stuck. What are they going to do? That's a big concern, and no one knows the exact answer. So I would say to people, press for action on the debt ceiling. No other country, I think maybe one other country has this. It's like we're putting a gun to our own heads. Is the debt a problem? You bet it is. Is a debt ceiling that could mean that the government defaults on things like things we owe people? So to me, that's one of those things that's a hot issue now. The pressure has to be kept on so that we don't face an 11th hour calamity. And boy, Abby, this would be a calamity Mm. if we go into default. And that would mean defaulting on things like the Social Security uh, securities and the trust fund. Mm. Bill, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, um, we'll have to have you back on as as things progress. We get closer to 2024. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you so much. Thank you, Abby. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about Social Security. Number one, President Roosevelt initiated the Social Security program through the New Deal, and it was a social insurance program. Bill says it wasn't necessarily intended to be a welfare program, but instead was meant to help people who needed assistance at the time. Number two, Social Security isn't in our Constitution, so Bill emphasized that Congress can give and take it away. That's part of the reason why there's so much chatter when power shifts in Congress. And number three, there are different eligibility requirements, but the main one is you have to pay into the system for 10 years. But Social Security isn't just about providing retirement benefits. It also provides help to survivors, people with disabilities, etc. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Social Security. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Past is missed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.